Wretched Radio begins in three, two, one. God told me to tell you this. That's paganism. Do you really expect and anticipate that the divine voice of God can be heard by you? That's horoscope reading. Standing in the office of the prophet of God. That's reading tea leaves. You can't have a relationship to God if you can't hear God. That is not biblical Christianity. You want to hear God speak to you? Read your Bible. If you want to hear God speak to you audibly, read it out loud. I promise you, 100% guaranteed, you will hear him speak. It's time for Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. And away we go. It's the Wretched Radio mail call delivery bag Q&A infotainment nationwide extravaganza featuring your voicemails, correspondences, communiques, dispatches, memorandums, and missives. Any special message for all the kids watching at home? What we need right now is a clear message to the people of this country. You have 1,200 messages. It is a bit above average. Now here's your host, Todd Freakishly Tall Friel. The mail is here! Ooh, must I do everything? And the answer today is yes. This is Wretched Radio. Jimmy is on vacation. It could be argued, probably not well, but it could be argued that vacationing is actually biblical. Paul wintered in a southern city. Huh? So there you have it. Paul was a snowbird on vacation. Therefore, we can take vacations. And Jimmy did, leaving me to do everything. Hard work, like actually reading. I have to confess to you, I love reading your emails. I genuinely do. Because I, I just, I know you care about truth and you love Jesus. And even when you're a little annoyed with me, I still know what you're about. And it's good to work through these issues. And reading your emails is always, it's a treat. So send them, will you, to idea at wretched.org. Hey, look, this is a lot of work. I'm doing another man's job in addition to my own. Pray for me. Hey, Todd, my 10-year-old cousin. Oh, this is a big subject. Hey, my 10-year-old cousin wants to get saved, but I don't think he's old enough to truly understand it. What should I do? And if he does get saved, should he be baptized? This is one that every parent should wrestle with. And if you're a biblical parent, you do. What do you do with a 10-year-old when they say, hey, I want to become a Christian? I think you should encourage them. You know what, honey, that is great. Even if you're sensing they don't fully comprehend something, just encourage them. You know what? You can talk to Jesus anytime you want to. You, you can tell him whatever is on your heart. And you're encouraging without affirming, because I think that's kind of the issue. You, you want to make sure that you don't tell a 10-year-old who doesn't really have a concept of what they're getting into fully yet. You don't want them to be getting baptized and then baptized again when they actually do get saved. That story has been written countless times. I do commend you Justin Peters' books. Uh, permit, I always forget this title. Permit the little, permit the, Jake, would you please look up Justin Peters' book, Permit the Little Ones or Let the Little Ones Come to Me. It's really helpful in walking your way through this, and you're going to make different decisions based on your 10-year-old. This is one issue that I think you could look at that might be definitive for you, and that is the issue of fruit. Are they bearing new fruit? Are they suddenly doing things that they didn't used to do, or have they stopped doing things that they used to do that were sinful? Watch that encourage that. Never say, nope, 
you're you're too young to believe in Jesus. Uh-uh, don't do that, but be wise. Encourage without affirming. You got the name of that book, Jake? Yes, it's Do Not Hinder Them. Well, that's exactly what I said. Exactly. Justin Peters, Do Not Hinder Them. Why am I reading these? Why aren't you reading these if you're sitting in Jimmy's chair? That's a great question. You're the boss. Because <laughs> I was the one who printed them up is pretty much the answer to that question. Dear Mr. Friel, do you have any suggestions for a Bible study for a group of young adults that could be done in roughly an hour weekly? Hmm. Can I think of Road Trip to Truth seasons one and two? Am I ashamed of that self-serving plug? No. No, I'm not. Road Trip to Truth, it's outstanding for youth groups. It's also good. There's a lot of adult Sunday school classes that are using Road Trip to Truth season one and two. And don't forget about Transformed. We're actually filming season two right now. As I speak, the gang is in the TV studio, the the Transformed studio, and they are filming people. And they're dealing with things like PTSD. Dr. Greg Gifford, who hosts Transformed, he actually wrote an award-winning book on PTSD. So he's well-equipped to handle that subject that is somewhat common because, remember, PTSD, uh, first of all, I don't think it's a disorder. It's just a deep wound that needs healing, so it's a natural response to something atrocious. And a lot of terrible things happen outside of a military field. It can happen in a home. It can happen with the way that you're brought up. There can be traumatic events in life, and the Bible speaks to them. The Bible does not use the term PTSD. That's a new 21st century label. By the way, it used to be called Soldier's Heart in the Civil War, World War I and II. They were shell-shocked. Same thing. The Bible uses different language. That this person is troubled. That this person is agitated. That this person has become fearful. The Bible talks about this subject, and we tackle those in Transformed, which is also another wonderful Series that you can use with your youth group or Sunday school, idea at wretched.org. Hello, Mr. Friel. What are some things to look for when finding a church? I think there are two things that you can consider. Number one, you need to understand the tenor of the church. This, this, this requires science, but it also requires a bit of art. Because I think you're going to have to spend some time there. I always think it's wise. Look at the faith statement on the internet. Listen to the pastor's sermons on the internet. And if you've jumped over that hurdle, go to the church and and try to be aware, not just of what is being preached. You want to do that. But consider the air that, that you're inhabiting. Is it loving? Is it evangelistic? Is it welcoming? Do the elders carry themselves with some dignity because they are to be dignified? So get a sense of those things because you can go to a church and you can have great preaching and it's like that preaching is spot on. But you got a crabby church and you got crabby people and they aren't interested in the salvation of the lost and they don't go out into the community. Uh, Those are issues that I think need to be gleaned. Are they the issue? No, but they should be a consideration. The other, of course, is theological robustness. Is the pulpit a sacred desk? Do they have a high view of the Bible? Are the essentials squared? Are there any theological distinctives that would cause you to be rankled or want you to change the church or potentially leave the church? 
All of those things should be considered. Then I would suggest to you, step two would be meeting with the pastor, meeting with the elders to ask a lot of questions. What is their stance on issues like the age of the earth? You say, come on! I say that's a bibliology issue. Genesis 1, 2, and 3 is clear. It's not poetry. There's no gap. There's there's nothing hiding inside of it. With all due respect to Mr. Salehammer and Tom, Tim, no, Thomas, Chal, Thomas Challies. <laughs> no, that, I just put together an old dead Puritan with Tim Challies, and I shouldn't have done that. Thomas Chalmers, <laughs> who was the one who discovered the gap, supposedly, in Genesis 1, 1 and 1, 2. It's clear. So where, do the, where does the church stand on that issue? Find out. Do they practice church discipline? What does that look like? What was the last case? How, how did you proceed with that? Tell me, what is your interpretive principle? And, they, and if they go, what? How do you interpret the Bible? Uh, well, you know, we, 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 we read the NIV. You're, you're in trouble because they should understand terms like grammatical, historical, hermeneutic. They should know those things. Ask them about those things. What are the roles that different people occupy here? What is the church structure? What is church polity? Let's make sure that we're square on the essentials. All of those questions I think should be asked after you jump over the hurdle of, it looks pretty good on the internet. I went there, the preaching is solid, and the people are loving, they, they look like they're bearing fruit. I'll, I'll tell you, okay, wait a second. This is gonna be a risk. Jake, you visited my church on Sunday. I did. The teacher was fantastic. <laughs> you, sh- you should hear the regular guy. He's amazing. This, Jake, you came to our church. Did you feel welcomed? I did. I did. I was uh, talking with the guy next to me, and he said he was a fan of the church and had been going there for six months. Were, and... people, were people polite? Yeah, yeah. Did they greet you, or did they just walk by you? Lots of people said hi. Yeah. See, I, okay. I'm sure not everybody did. You know, somebody might have an off day or they're just distracted with something. But a Bible teaching sh- church should bear that kind of fruit. And what I'm suggesting is if that fruit doesn't exist, there's something wrong. There's something going on. I, I'll tell you, you, you go to the Shepherds Conference, you're going to see the fruit of great preaching and a high view of the Bible. You will be treated like royalty when you walk onto that campus for Shepherd's Conference. Where does that come from? It comes from the pulpit. It comes from elders who are serious and dignified, have a high view of the Bible, and are preaching in such a way that it is actually producing genuine Christian fruit. Please send questions, comments, conundrums, or snarks to idea at wretched.org. This is Wretched Radio. 
Okay, so I know it's June and Christmas is six months from now, but everywhere you turn at the moment, you're hearing about the supply line or delays with mail delivery. So we put our heads together here at Wretched and thought, you know, it might be a good idea to start Christmas shopping now. Write these dates down, June 17th through 19th. It's the annual Wretched Summer Sale that could possibly be the Wretched Christmas Sale. Those dates, most everything in the Wretched store will be marked down. All audio and video products will be 50% off, except transfer. And all Wretched curriculum also 50% off, except Transform. And our gospel booklet bundles will be drastically reduced as well. I know you don't want to think about Christmas at the moment, but we don't want to be those people. You know, the ones that say, told you so, when December rolls around and there's some kind of supply line, postal service, stimulus check, mask mandate, state of emergency happening, because we will be those people. So just take advantage of the Wretched Summer Maybe Christmas Sale June 17th through the 19th at the Wretched Store at Wretched.org. This is our dear brother, Max, in Ukraine, who's been a Tomorrow Club leader now for almost 20 years, giving us a picture of what is going on currently in Ukraine, specifically regarding the activity of the Tomorrow Clubs, normally kids' clubs where they meet every week to hear the gospel. But right now, those Tomorrow Club leaders are spending their efforts simply trying to minister to people who are in danger, or who have nothing. And our Tomorrow Club leaders in the West are trying to, to meet the needs of those families who had to escape, serving them to good opportunity to show Christ to them in this time of trial. There are many who need the bare necessities of life. Tomorrow Clubs is trying to serve them in that regard. Would you please consider what you might do for Ukrainian believers at tomorrowclubs.org slash wretched. Hey, thanks for listening to Wretched Radio today. So what do you get when you mix a group of Gen Z college students and a group of biblical experts together with 2,000-year-old questions? Well, of course, you get Road Trip to Truth. John Favares has hit the road on a quest to find answers to life's biggest questions like environmentalism, social Darwinism, the deadly impact of pornography, and the dangers of agnosticism. Those are just a few of the topics covered in Season 2 of Road Trip to Truth, which is available now at roadtriptotruth.org. Season 1 is also available along with study guides for each season and a homeschool curriculum. Road Trip to Truth helps your children better understand questions from the world from a biblical perspective and it will help you learn how to witness more effectively to this generation. So grab your copy of Season 1 and 2 of Road Trip to Truth at roadtriptotruth.org. Wretched, amazing grace, amazing gospel. Titles of Christ In the Bible, Jesus is given many titles that teaches us about who He is and what He has done. Jesus is called the True Vine. The Old Testament describes Israel as a vine planted in the desert. Jesus is the true vine, and those who trust in Him are grafted in to receive life and nourishment from Christ. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Guess. Go ahead and guess, because I couldn't. This is Wretched Radio. Hoping you'll send questions, comments, conundrums, snarks to idea at wretched.org before we go to the mailbag challenge. There are over 200 Episcopalian deputies who refused to go to the Episcopalian convention. Can you guess why? I couldn't. I actually had to read the article. 
which these days is increasingly frustrating because people bury the lead so deeply. COVID. They they don't want to go because of COVID. Leave it to the Episcopalians. Please send whatever to idea at wretched.org. This sent in from, I hope I say it right, Ari. Hi, Todd. Just wondering what your take or review would be on Matt Walsh's documentary, What is a Woman? Well, my take would be a review of a review because that's all I've read. And the reason was I saw the trailer for Matt Walsh's movie. It's super provocative. There's a lot of chum (laughs) because he goes to people who should know better. Biologists, doctors, scientists, they can't answer the question, what is a woman? This interview has ended. So, you know, very salacious stuff. Sort of fun to watch. A darkened mind gets so twisted into a pretzel, they just have to, I can't talk to you anymore. Later in the movie, they did spend some time on some information that I think should be more widely known. And that is the effect of encouraging kids to change their genders. But I, I, I knew that stuff. In fact, there's a new survey that just came out, a new study that was done by the Heritage Foundation, I believe. And they were trying to do as scientific a study as they possibly could on the issue of children and the suicide rate of kids who are confused about their genders. Because here's the accusation. If you don't allow a kid to change their gender, they're going to kill themselves. You hear it all the time. You heard it on that Fox News story promoting transgenderism. Wow. That's the argument that that these people, they're going to take their own lives. Is that true? So you've got to study the studies. And this new one from Heritage Foundation, uh, they took a look at the states that had encouraging laws for giving your kids puberty blockers and getting them the surgery versus states that don't. And here's what they discovered, that the suicide rate in the states where transgender and the mutilation and all of that is encouraged, the suicide rate actually goes up. It goes up. You would, according to the current argument, you would say, no, it's where these kids are oppressed and they're not allowed to be themselves. That's why they take their lives. Not according to this latest study. So Matt, I think, had some of that inside of his movie. And for me, it was just ground that we've tried years ago here in Wretched, so I didn't see it. I haven't seen any reason why you shouldn't. And there might be something helpful. I think it's interesting. He went to Africa to ask people, so what do you think about a boy becoming a girl? Snicker, snicker. But I got the point, so I, I didn't see it. However, this email continues, and I think it's something worth pondering. Also, what do you think of Matt Walsh, his view that you cannot use God or religion as a basis or foundation for your argument against secular people? but rather use logic, reason, and science to debate a position with secularists. He believes using God undercuts your argument with secularists. Well, it depends on the battle that you're trying to win. There are three categories that I think Christians have permission to tap into in having a conversation with a secularist. Yes, I do think we can use the science. This study is interesting, isn't it? Let's take a look at the science of whatever the issue, the actual science. Like, you know, the chromosomal difference between XX and XY. Let's, let's take a look at the science. 
Can we use logic in a limited degree? You can because people's logic machine is broken. So I don't expect much from a darkened mind, but we can. We can do this with the life issue, for instance. The science of embryology, it is a whole living human being at conception, period. Science wins. Your argument for taking the life of a child in the womb, it loses scientifically. Logically, you cannot win the argument that it is okay to take the life of a child because you don't have logic on your side. Arguments like size, level of development, environment, degree of dependency, they do not hold water because you can't do that to a two-year-old. There's no distinction scientifically between a two-year-old and a two-day-old baby in the womb. So we can win the arguments. Should we leave God out of the conversation? Absolutely not. How we invoke God, though, I think is important. And I think there's a couple of ways to do it rightly. I do think that it's it's not wrong, but it's a bit risky to say, well, you know, the Bible says that God values life. That's That's true. And I think we should say that. But I would just suggest you just package it maybe a, a, a little bit more so that they don't make the accusation, you're just trying to impose your religion on me. So just offer some phrases that can perhaps deflate that accusation. The Bible agrees with science and logic. Science and logic says that's a baby. So does God's word. If, however, you want to make the argument that this person is, do you, are you trying to persuade them to be pro-life, or are you trying to persuade them of something else? And so I would say one of the messages as pro-life Christians that we have has to be repent. You are sinning. If you haven't committed an abortion and you're endorsing it, you're endorsing murder. You need to repent of that. God's word is clear. You are going to be held accountable on judgment day. So should we invoke the Bible? Absolutely. Should we do it wise as serpents and gentle as doves? Absolutely. And if I might, one last comment, because the context is about Matt Walsh. I know that he's becoming increasingly popular. This movie has been a juggernaut for him, and it appears to have been good and helpful work. But please remember that Matt is a Roman Catholic, and he's a practicing Roman Catholic, and I know he imports morals and values into his presentations and his writings, which I regularly find to be very good. Nevertheless, He's still a Roman Catholic, and you, you need to be mindful of that, not so that you just never listen to the guy, but so that you realize, okay, he, he brings that religious worldview to his presentations, his understandings, and you're going to get that. So don't put down your theological filter when it comes to listening to Matt Walsh. This is an example of it. Don't use God's word when it comes to arguing social issues. Oh, yeah, we do. We just want to do it thoughtfully. Idea at wretched.org. This is from Adrian. Is retirement a biblical concept? It is not a concept that was really considered in the Bible that you hit 62 and then you get a pension and you're done. So it doesn't really speak about that. But I do think that we see two big ideas in the Bible that we need to harmonize. That we are human beings, we're image bearers, and we work till we die. And by the way, there's an implication on the other end of the spectrum. Your children need to be working too. God works, we work. Work is good. 
We need to be encouraging even the little ones to have some jobs, and we need to be encouraging the elderly one to have a job. Because the first big idea that I see in the Bible regarding the this, this subject of work and vacation is we work. We work uh, a lot. Now, is there a time for rest? Yeah, but at best, you could argue a day. We are working people, and we are given no permission to call it quits and then count seashells by the seashore, probably next to Jimmy, and just not do anything. I I don't think the Bible gives permission for that, however. The second big idea that I see is that we do see that as people get older, there are some limitations. They, they they, They can't do as much. Okay, even John MacArthur... Is he 83 now? What would we want him to keep at the same pace when he was 43? Of course not. And so we see wisdom and that older people are to be treated with deference and respect and an understanding that there are struggles. Read Ecclesiastes 12 and all of the physical issues that elderly people struggle with. You lose your teeth, your eyes don't work, you wake up at the chirping of a bird. You can't you don't want to eat much. Your sexual desire is entirely diminished. It's a recognition. Yeah, things change and we need to be mindful of that. So what does that look like if you're older? Do you have to stay at your job and work 40? Didn't suggest that. Wisdom with biblical and godly counsel, you can work on your schedule. But that doesn't mean you can stop working for the Lord. If you're in a assisted care facility, you can still be working for the Lord. And can I just encourage you, God isn't disgusted with you that you fall asleep in the middle of your prayers because you're persisting and you're praying. That's work. At the very least, when we're old and infirm and maybe immobile, we can still pray. We can still witness to people. We could send letters to people. If you've got finances, you can figure out a way to efficiently distribute that money. Never stop working, recognizing you don't need to do 9 to 5 Monday through Friday. But Christians should always be working people. This is Wretched Radio. This is Wretched Radio, and I'm Jimmy Hicks. In Idaho, the Satanic Temple was barred from participating in a Pride event recently because other sponsors began withdrawing from the event because of the inclusion of a group with Satan in its name. Can you not see all the irony here? I mean, isn't one of the main stated purposes of all this Pride stuff inclusion? Yet they're excluding the Satanic Temple. That doesn't seem very Pride-like to me. Imagine not desiring to fellowship with someone who has extreme views you don't agree with. Hmm. Recently, we told you about all the deserved backlash being heaved at the Eardsman Christian Publishing Company. The company released a blog earlier in the month with LGBT book recommendations, and the backlash rolled in, which caused the company to now respond to that backlash. They acknowledged removing their original tweet containing the book recommendations, but stood by their decision to create such a list in the first place, stating that they do not define doctrine for the church. Their role is to simply publish books, and publishing books that routinely contradict 
contradict each other on many doctrinal points. So I'll go ahead and stop right there. There's a big difference in publishing books with opposing doctrines and promoting the celebration of what the Bible clearly calls sin. This isn't about different Christians having different theological viewpoints. This is about affirming sin. You know, sometimes people desire to be so cultural and worldly that they give lip service to any and all worldly causes. Case in point, an LGBT pride parade that took place last weekend in Washington, D.C. had some members of the pride community marching in the parade while they carried and waved the Ukrainian flag, showing support for Ukraine, who they obviously didn't realize doesn't approve of or recognize same-sex relationships. But hey, good try on the virtue signaling. The major Australian bank has formally announced that it will provide six weeks of paid gender affirmation leave for transgender and gender-diverse employees pursuing any aspect of gender affirmation. And just so you know, gender affirmation is the term being used now for transition surgery. So this bank is giving its employees time off to mutilate their bodies. How affirming and progressive of them. And the other employees who are happy with the gender they were born with, I wonder what they think about all this extra time off. And if you haven't already heard, a new hymnal has been recently released by the Hymn Society called Songs for the Holy Other. And here are some of the song titles in the new hymnal. Queerly Beloved, God of Queer, and Transgressive Spaces. The hymnal's description says it aims to provide congregations with a toolbox of hymns for those who identify as members of the LGBT community. So instead of calling sin, sin and sharing the gospel with lost people, instead let's just cater to their sin and bring it into the church and celebrate it. This is blasphemy and a serious low view of God. More Wretched Radio is straight ahead. I'm Jimmy Hicks. Books of the Bible The Apostle John wrote a third epistle commending Christians who were walking in the truth and showing love by their hospitality. He warned against a selfish and diversive man whom he criticized publicly, specifically, and by name. As you continue to walk in the truth, take care to show hospitality to good teachers and avoid bad teachers. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. Hey, how you doing? Great program. I really liked it. Well, part of I was just wondering. You be the host. Hello. This is Wretched Radio. Jake is now going to usurp the host chair. Why? Because Jake done watched What is a Woman? The documentary by Matt Walsh. I haven't seen it. I appreciate it. All of the reviews are good. I think it has helpful information. Encourage you to see it if you want to and you have the time. But Jake, you just mentioned that you saw the movie. What'd you think? I did. It was um, pretty much all of the talking points you would kind of hear in the, you know, conservative circles. Mm Mm-hmm. But the one that kind of interested me was in the Fox News report we discussed. Yes. They said the phrase, I'd rather have a living son than a dead daughter. Yeah. And they used that exact same phrase in Matt Walsh's movie. And he said that is, um, I think the term was emotional uh, uh, hostage. It's an emotional argument. Yeah, no, it is. I agree. They're holding your emotions hostage by saying that. And you found that to be the most memorable line from the movie? Yeah, because it's it's exactly what the Fox News article said. Sure, but it it but this argument it's very clever and it's very effective. The LGB folks have used this, 
Okay, don't you want somebody to be fulfilled and happy? Don't you want them to be yourselves? And if you don't, they're going to kill themselves. Wait, whoa, hold, hold it, hold it. Wait a second. You've got to make that case. And there is science to demonstrate that, oh, wait a second, it might actually be these transgender surgeries and processes that are leading kids to get to be suicidal. That report from the Heritage Foundation, do you recall, was it the Heritage Foundation study that they used in the Matt Walsh movie? I don't remember the exact That's study, right. no. But this this new study comparing states that had laws for and, and, and laws against it discovered that in 2010, when things like puberty blockers were introduced and getting prescribed to teenagers and to children, they've seen the suicide rate go up in those states. And the thinking is, and this is a bit of speculation, but the thinking is these young kids get the procedure started and have such profound regrets and they realize this has not made me fulfilled and happy and I'm not comfortable and I miss my body parts that were cut off of my body. And I don't like the effect of all of these drugs and they're taking their lives. That's the speculation. But what appears to be the science, though, is in the states where it is encouraged, the kids are experiencing a more suicide, a higher suicidal level than in states that don't. So don't let them bulldoze you with that. What did he call it? Don't let them make you an emotional hostage. Point out, wait a second, you have to make that case scientifically. And it still overlooks what is right. And let's just say, let's just say that it is true that kids in states where there are laws against transitioning, and let's just say it does cause them to be suicidal because they can't express themselves the way that they desire. Does that mean we let them do it? The issue is what is right but defined, defined scientifically, logically, and biblically. What is the right thing? And some people would say, well, that means you're callous and you don't care. No, I'm not done yet. We can't be doing those things, recognizing how hard it is for a child to work through these issues. We are going to dive in and help them and support them and protect them and make sure that they have better thinking that's what we are going to do. So don't let them make you an emotional hostage. Neither science, logic, or Bible is on their side. If you want to send me a review of Matt Walsh's movie, you can do so at idea at wretched.org. I have to tell you, there's another issue. It, it, especially lately in Atlanta, I just, I get it. I understand. But liberals courtesy of John F. Kennedy, have decided institutions for people who have mental issues is a bad idea. They're gone. I'm, I'm not sure there's one anywhere. I think I saw one recently, but all of these institutions that used to house people who couldn't function in society have all been shut down because we thought that wasn't, there were abuses. They should have been addressed. But we need to be asking the question, what is what is right and what is best? Is it really right or good to have people who don't think clearly or perhaps have a drug-addled brain to live out on the streets? And right now in Atlanta, it is, um, it is so hot. Jake, you're supposed to say, how hot is it? How hot is it, Todd? 
I actually put myself in a microwave oven for dry heat. That's, I'm telling you, it's hot in the Atlanta here. And these people are wandering the streets. They've always got a ton of clothes on. They're, they're pushing big carts of stuff. And, and, and the liberals would go, well, we got to let them live the way that they want. Is that really right or nice? How's about we as a society go, these are the people that need, they genuinely need help. Let's love them enough to provide a safe place for them where there is predictable food, where there is conditioned weather, so that and 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 tools where they can perhaps start thinking better, get off of drugs, run them so that they are not a center of abuse. Isn't that the right and loving thing to do? And if they then demonstrate the ability to function in society, even if it's not at a level that some people would say is where you should be, then then they 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 get to go out and get integrated into the world. And even then, I think that we could have facilities for these folks where there could be some housing because maybe the family can't take care of them. Do you know what's playing the role right now of, of that institution? It's called prison and jail. That is where these people are going. Is that really loving? Is that nice? We... We shut down the institutions because there were abuses and we thought these poor people, they don't get to go out and do everything that we get to do. And I think we should mourn over that loss for them. But we shut them down and instead they're going into prisons where they're being treated even worse and at a higher risk of violence, sexually transmitted diseases and all that that implies. Is that really nice and loving? Send your review of Matt Walsh, his movie, What is a Woman, to idea at wretched.org. This is an email sent from, I'm going to leave the name out. I got to tell you, I'm going to read this to you. Because I'll probably comment less on the question because we've talked about it so much. Offer a word of comfort, but let's hear, let's hear the devastation that is wrought from a man who insists on looking at pornography. The question is, how do I deal with my husband's pornography struggle? Might I suggest, don't call it a struggle. Sin, depravity, biblical words. He's confessed to me and repented, and I've decided over and over again to forgive, but he's fallen back. And then it turns out he's been going on again for a while, and I'm just not sure what my role is in it. What can I do? How can I keep trusting him? I just feel such intense despair. Listen to the heartache, the damage that is caused from porn. I just want to love him the way Christ wants me to. I'm just feeling like I could use some guidance. I'm probably just not thinking rationally because of hurt. But I sure could use help. If you took the time to read this, I thank you. Sir, you're doing this to your wife. She doesn't know. Yep, she does. I guarantee you she knows. And at the very least, she suspects it. She knows your behavior is a little weird. She knows what is not going on in the bedroom or what is going on in the bedroom. She knows you're crushing her. Madam, what would I suggest to you? Remember, that is his sin. You are not the cause for his porn depravity. Now, if you've got sins in your life, You've committed sins against it. You need to repent of those, but they are not the cause. You're not responsible for your husband's sin. He is. 
Madam, you need the local church. You need to be in a body of believers who can support you and love you and encourage you and provide for you in more detail than I ever could about what you should do, how you deal with this. Is there a valid reason to say you can divorce this man? This is this is a, a debate. Maybe we'll have this a little deeper someday. I think it might be worth our time. Is pornography adultery? Therefore, a woman has the biblical right to divorce you because you are committing adultery via pixels. I think that's a debate worth having because it's a 21st, 20th century sort of thing that we're dealing with. It's definitely lust, but it's looking at, it's engaging, and it's it's self-sex that is going on that isn't to be done in the confines of marriage. So this this is this is an issue that needs to be wrangled with, wrestled with. There are peculiarities with each person's situation, his pattern, his history, his success rate, his failure rate, his attitude. But madam, please be in a local church. Go to your elders. Oh, my husband would be so embarrassed. Two words, boo and who. You need the local church and wisdom. This is Wretched Radio. Here's a preborn story that starts out a little on the bitter side, but ends up being very sweet. Neighborhood pastor's daughter ends up pregnant, and she was very abortion-minded, not wanting to face the consequences of her indiscretion. When she met her baby on the ultrasound, she just wept uncontrollably. Couldn't do it. That baby's alive today because an ultrasound was underwritten for a girl. And otherwise, even though she was a Christian, saw abortion as the easy answer. That is the power of an ultrasound. When a woman in crisis sees her baby 80 percent of the time she chooses life for just 28 dollars you could provide one of those ultrasounds but i would ask you how many ultrasounds might you be able to provide the more ultrasounds the more saved babies please consider what you can do at preborn.org slash wretched preborn.org slash wretched Are we heading toward a dystopian society? Who decides what is good and evil? Who decides what truth is? Are there such things as fate or free will? Morals, are we born with those? Or does the culture we live in inform them? Those are all really good questions and topics that we tackle daily on Wretched Radio and TV. Our goal has always been to preach the gospel, equip others to preach the gospel, and strengthen the local church. And we're only able to do that with the help of our gospel partners. If you are a Wretched Gospel partner, thank you so much for your support, which has allowed us to create compelling quality productions that catch the eye of unbelievers, but aren't so cringy they make believers blush. And if you aren't currently, would you pray about becoming a monthly Wretched Gospel partner? Help us continue to reach millions all over the world with the gospel. Just visit wretched.org donate, or you can also so just as easily text the word wretched to the number 44321. Confession, normally numbers aren't my favorite subject, but these numbers make me happy. 
MediShare is affordable biblical health sharing with twice the satisfaction rate of MediShare members versus traditional health insurance plans. The average family saves $500 per month. Over $3 billion worth of medical bills have been shared among MediShare members, which, by the way, MediShare has been around for a quarter of a century. Don't forget, telehealth is available at MediShare, and it will take you two minutes to receive a quote to see what you and your family could be saving every single month with MediShare. Affordable biblical health sharing. Please spend a very worthwhile two minutes at 844-34-BIBLE, 844-34-BIBLE. Know your reformers. William Tyndale provided the first complete translation of the New Testament into English in 1526. While he was in prison for the crime of translating the Bible, he continued to translate the Old Testament until he was strangled and burned at the stake in 1536. This is Wretched Radio with Todd Friel. So what's on your mind? Ratchet Radio, that's the number of the old toll free. Please call with your thoughts. Try to keep it pithy so that Jimmy can spend even more time at the beach. Mm. 1-877-282-BEEP. 1-877-282. Hey, Todd, I'm making a roll to my masters at SBC University. I do have a question. Hold on. That sounds like he might be talking in a cave or he's caught... He's like a mime, and he's actually caught in a box, a metal one, and he can't get out. He said, I go to an SBC university. I'm in a liberal dress of the SBC. Should I be reconsidering this, going to their universities? So considering the, the liberal drift of the SBC, should I stay at that institution? And the answer is maybe, maybe not. It depends on the drift of that particular institution. It depends on how they're treating you. It depends on if they are making you to adhere and say that you affirm liberalism. Um, It depends. Furthermore, because I think wisdom needs to be applied here, it depends on where you're at in the process. Are you a freshman? Are you a senior who's going to graduate in a month? I would say finish up. If you're a freshman, it just gives it a different trajectory and a different duration. So you might want to think about finding an institution so you don't have to endure four years. So I think the answer to your question is maybe, maybe not. Be wise. Seek counsel in your local church. And just because it appears the SBC is indeed veering to the left on the role of women, the CRT business, actually a myriad of issues right now that I think are all based in bibliology, view of God and scripture. Not every institution is that way. So you got to, even churches, Just because a church is in the SBC, it doesn't mean that they're wonky. So you're going to have to assess it on a case-by-case basis. Please beep talk, 1-877-282-BEEP. Just listening to your latest episode talking about how God is faithful not only to clean up the mess, but to uh, be faithful in the mess. But you're also talked about how he may have caused the mess if it wasn't a sinful act. I want to push back on that a little bit. And I'm happy to receive that because this is this is a big subject here. 
And you, sir, kudos to you because you actually did, uh, in a pithy sort of way, represent my position. You've got to determine the difference between a, a sinful atrocity and just something really hard. Because there are a lot of hard things in this fallen world that God can do that are not him causing sin or sinning against you. Weather, floods, those, those aren't sinful things for God to do. If he uses those instruments to even take somebody's life, he isn't sinning by controlling them. However, there are some things that are downright wicked. Somebody does something abusive to a child. Okay, whoa. God is not responsible for that. So we need to make that distinction. You did that, sir, and I appreciate it. And that is why I've come to the conclusion that God ordains everything, everything, whether it is evil or not evil, but he is not responsible or the cause of evil atrocities because of agency and the the participants in the process of evil. Remember, God is the ultimate cause but he uses proximate causes. They can be worldviews, ideologies, and, and even people to encourage bad. But it's ultimately the ultimate cause that is responsible for perpetrating the evil act. So God's hands are totally clean. That's my position, sir. Thank you for representing me rightly. That is always, that's a tough one. What he just did is a tough one. Because it's really easy to build a straw man and burn it down. I, I, I feel that tug. But this fellow did a great job of saying, okay, this is your position, rightly defined. Now he's going to push back. What do you say about Joseph's brothers selling him into slavery? That was obviously an act that God decreed to happen, a sinful act. But God decreed it for good. What can you clarify your position on what you're talking about there? If if I yeah, I, I will. Thank you for that. Actually, I would use Joseph to support the theology that I'm representing. That yeah, you meant it for evil, God meant it for good. So God ordained the kidnapping, the abandonment, the abuse of Joseph. He ordained it. If if that maybe sounds hard, ask yourself the question, can anything on this earth happen without God? The answer is no, because God is the sustainer. He is the creator. He's the power. He's the energy. He's the controller. So God ordained that Joseph would be kidnapped. And there was a great, he meant it for good. It actually saved the Jewish people so that he could be good to his word to Abraham, that there would be a land, a nation, and a seed. They meant it for evil. So what were Joseph's brothers in this? I would say they're the proximate cause. God ordained it. They were the one, and actually they were the ultimate cause. That Jealousy was the proximate cause because they, oh, dad favors him. And look at that groovy jacket and he can sing like Donny Osmond. So jealousy was the proximate cause. And perhaps a fear of man problem. Whatever it was that was going on in their heart was the proximate cause. The efficient cause was them. They did it. They were the ones who ditched Joseph. And I mean, literally ditched him. They, they, they are responsible for their activities, not God.
I hope that was helpful for you. I still continue to commend to you a book that it is, it's not simple, but it is very helpful, written by Dr. Peter Sammons at the Master University. It's called Reprobation and the Sovereignty of God. 1877. Thank you for that, that beep talk, sir. Well done. 1877 282. Hi, Todd. Is it wrong for me to still so annoying when I hear people say, Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship. Like, I understand the sentiment, but I feel like it just confuses everyone. Okay, let me translate that for you. Should I be annoyed that people use the term Christianity is not a religion, it's a relationship? Well, I don't know about annoyed. <laughs> because there is a truth to it, but there's also a fallacy in it. Christianity is a religion. The reason that people use that is because we have determined religion as a whole is a bad category. Therefore, we don't want to say that Christianity is a religion. Uh, That's exactly what it is. (laughs) All the hallmarks of religion. Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. No, he he wanted to fulfill the old one in its fullness. (laughs) It is a religion. But I would actually say to you, I do still appreciate and think there is value in saying Christianity is about a relationship. And incidentally, speaking of saying what it's about, did you catch what Nancy Pelosi said on the RuPaul drag queen show to the people that were participating? This is what America is all about. No, it's not. But thanks for the insight into your black heart, Speaker Pelosi. It is a religion, but it is also a relationship. It's not all it is, of course, but that certainly is what makes Christianity so amazing, so worthy, and so distinct. This intimate relationship that we get to be in with God, it's true, it's biblical. Romans 5, 1 and 2, Jesus made it possible for us to be introduced to the Father, in a relationship, a loving relationship. We love him. He loves us. No other religion offers that. No other religion, no other system. Eastern religion, philosophical ideology offers that joyful thought. Furthermore, the the understanding that it's about a relationship as opposed to a religion, it's, it's, it, it reminds us of the book of James that faith without something is dead. Read Romans 4 first, then go read James. When he talks about Abraham, and he talks about, look, he had works. Don't show me your faith, show me your works. Well, you need to understand the clarity of Romans chapter 4, that it was his works, Abraham's works, were accounted to him as righteousness. It, it was the revealer that he was, his faith rather, not his works, his faith was attributed to him, accounted to him as righteousness, not works, faith. And then in the book of James, it reminds us that a faith that is genuine shows itself. And one of the ways it manifests itself is in our relationship with God, which means our affections toward him are different. We desire to spend time with him by praying or reading his word, going to church, fellowshipping, experiencing the ordinances of the church. Uh, that That's a part of the Christian faith. Yeah, works too. But certainly, knowing God and being known by him. So, sir, I would say you can be agitated that they want to minimize religion and inaccurately say that Christianity isn't a religion. Okay. But as far as the relationship bit, 
I actually think, nah, it's a word that is, I think, super helpful on all of the aforementioned levels. I would ask you, are you in a relationship with God? Do you know him? Does he know you? If not, today's the day of salvation. Repent and trust in Jesus Christ, and you will be known by him in a relationship. And until tomorrow, go serve your king.